1: if there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it! invalidator. Remember that's what you told me! It's time, Robbie! Welcome to the Next Best Picture Podcast. And the Oscar goes to The Shape of Water. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 93 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Neglia, and joining me today, I have my co-host, Will Mavity. Hello everybody, I'm from the East Coast again, it's so satisfying. Isn't it amazing? It is 11.53 a.m. here on the East Coast, and for Will, it is not 8.53 a.m. It is 11.53 a.m. Isn't that just such a great feeling? It's my last week to enjoy it, so I'm gonna bask in it. Just do me a favor. Can you like move like somewhere just a little bit more east than where you are right now, like Chicago or something? I wanna move to Denver. It's one hour earlier. I think Denver
0: would be a dope place to live. My girlfriend and I were actually talking about that. Wait, hold on, back up. Why Denver?
1: Denver's cool. Are you serious?
0: Yeah, I mean, it'd have to be in a year or so, but Denver, um, it's got great access to skiing, it's got a really chill downtown, good people, the foods to die for, great bookstore chain called Tattered Cover, and her sister and her brother-in-law as well as her two best friends are planning to move to Denver so in like a year or so. So it makes sense, you know, in about a year it'd be
1: like, Hey, Denver! Well, I also imagine uh, housing must be cheap uh, over there as well, compared to other parts of the country, you know, so the cost of living is probably more manageable. Oh, definitely much cheaper. Is that a thing? You, you and uh, Becca thinking about getting a, a house and
0: what have you? It's a possibility. Um, we, we will see. We will see. We'll see what the future in L.A. holds for me as far as jobs and the like go. So there's a world where I end up in Denver with Becca. Who knows?
1: Yeah, uh, I, I, I might make the greatest move of my life. I might move uh, a few miles from <laughs> Long Island to Brooklyn. <laughs> Which, Why aren't you moving to Los Angeles? I, yeah, I'm yeah, i not ready for that yet. I'd rather uh, stay in the city right now. I, I'm really enjoying my time over here. I, I have a lot of good access points right now as far as uh, connections to the industry. So, you know, this is all still very new for me. It's only been like in the last two years that I've been able to like enjoy this wild ride. So maybe in a few years time, I might head out over to L.A. But if you're not going to be in L.A. and you're going to be in Denver, then what's the point?
0: <laughs> well, we... <laughs> We will see. A lot could happen. It's just something I've been considering.
1: Well, a lot also did happen uh, this weekend at the uh, movies in general. Uh, We had uh, some releases for Adrift, Upgrade, Action Point, American Animals. Uh, But Will, just in general, did you happen to catch up on anything this week?
0: So it drives me crazy. The only downside of not being in LA, actually there's a couple, is that all these cool movies came out and like, I was dying to go see American Animals, and of course, it's not showing in Atlanta. So, what I did see was on Chesil Beach, which is just so thoroughly average. There's some really good moments in there. I actually, I, I didn't think Saoirse was all that consistent. She's normally just effortless, and there were some moments where I thought she was off. I did think, um, I'm forgetting his name now, who's the the gentleman who co-starred. Billy Howe. Billy Howe was very very good and Saoirse had some great scenes. Matt and I were discussing off the air this is a film that feels like if they had basically just made the climatic confrontation on the beach into a short film it would have ultimately been a much stronger product because not all of the flashbacks and editing choices work not all of the dialogue works there's some just horrendous makeup like i'm talking some of the worst makeup i've ever seen on screen puts j edgar in back to the future's old age makeup to shame for sheer awfulness um that takes you out of what could have been somewhat emotional ending it's just inconsistent there were some some interesting themes there that definitely were explored but they could have got the film could have gone deeper with them and just wasn't a very satisfying project and tonally, is all over
1: the place wow yeah no uh, i mean you kind of share similar thoughts that i have on the movie as well um it's a very very average movie but man that climactic uh, beach scene plays out like a one-act play and it, it is fantastic i still believe like you said if it was a short and it was released the whole movie is contained within that one scene The acting is incredible. The shot composition by Sean Bobbitt is really great. Um, You know, there's a lot of great stuff in there. It's just like, it's just smack dab in the middle of a movie that has like this first act and third act that is just nowhere near as intriguing as that climactic scene. So, yeah, it's a shame. But, you know, what are you going to do? I I guess they could always uh, do another movie together and hopefully things turn out better. Oh, wait a minute. The seagull. It didn't. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't like that one either.
0: A bad a bad May for Sersha, I would say.
1: Yeah, um, hopefully things do turn around later on in the year with uh, Mary, Queen of Scots. We'll have to see how that all pans out. So hyped. Out. I know, right? Um, and there, there was a lot of other uh, discussion this week in terms of casting, some new projects coming out. I will, I will come right out and say, for the record, that this episode might be a little bit all over the place. We have no trailers to talk about this week. Um, we might sprinkle the news throughout, and it, just in general, this was a very, very light week, so really, this is just me and Will kind of catching up and shooting the shit for your entertainment. Um, I'll start off by saying, uh, I'll drop a bombshell really quickly, I have never seen Ocean's 11. Really? The Steven Soderbergh film with that giant cast, I had never seen Ocean's Eleven. Have you rectified that? And that just changed the other night. So I saw it in anticipation for Ocean's Eight, and I have to say that I was very thoroughly entertained by it. I did feel that the characters were very thin, and it's not so much that you're watching the characters on screen, it's just the novelty of seeing these actors all on screen. I thought Steven Soderbergh's, Um, Shots were just so magnificent. I love the way that he shoots his movies. And I thought that this movie had a lot of suave, uh, uh, you know, such a cool, charismatic uh, presence about it that you kind of can't help but feel won over by it as you watch it. Although I did think the storyline about him trying to win back his ex-wife, Tess, played by Julia Roberts, was a bit silly. And I don't really know if the movie necessarily needed it. I don't feel like it added much to um, the drama of seeing the heist itself unfold. But all in all, fun movie. You know, I I would give it a 7 out of 10.
0: Yeah, no, it, I know. It's not like it's not trying to be traffic. You know, it's not trying to be meaty Steven Soderbergh. It's just extremely entertaining. Um, do us all a favor. Skip 12. Go straight to 13.
1: Is that true? Yeah, 12 was really that bad, huh? Yeah, oh, it's awful.
0: There's this weird subplot where Julia Roberts' character plays real life Julia Roberts, and it's just.
1: No. Well, that's really bizarre.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think the cat the credits even go and they list all the names, and it goes and introducing Tess as Julia Roberts. It's 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 horrible.
1: Well, I also happened to uh, rewatch The Witch, uh, Robert Eggers' mm. uh, twenty sixteen film for the first so time good. since its theatrical release. Yeah, I know you and I were really really high on it. Uh, that film made my top ten in twenty sixteen, landing in at number eight on my list. And this this rewatch was. Pretty damn incredible, I have to say. I I, I think I liked it even more uh, the second time around than I did the first time, and uh, we reviewed that for um, our throwback review for June of 2018 as we eagerly anticipate the release of Hereditary coming out uh, this upcoming weekend, and... That is up for anyone to listen to right now to get the full review of what you do have to subscribe to our Patreon page for a minimum $1 a month, and then you will get that full episode along with all the other episodes that we have been releasing over the last couple of weeks for our throwback reviews and other exclusive podcast content. Uh, But yes, very much enjoyed The Witch. I also rewatched The Incredibles, which I think was the first time I've seen that in probably 10 years It has to be something really, really long. And yes, we are actually going to have a review of that as well. That will be going up pretty soon before Incredibles 2 comes out. So be on the lookout for that. And I saw American Animals for a second time in the movie theater. Uh, Will, when you do head back over to the West Coast, I do, 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 do so eagerly await your thoughts on that movie?
0: Oh, I think it'll be one of my favorites of the year, and I, I'm planning to see both it and
1: Hereditary this week. So, oh, that's gonna be a good, good movie week for you, then. Yeah, a uh, lot of Sundance catch up, basically. And then I also saw um, in the movie theater. I saw, I saw Upgrade, <laughs> which I want to see that. It yeah, sounds no, fun. I like. Here's the best way I can describe Upgrade. Upgrade is the kind of movie that you watch with your friends when you're sitting around at home and it's like 11:53 53 p.m. but nobody wants to go home and you're all drinking beer and you decide to just be like yo yo put that movie on what's that movie uh, upgrade yeah put that shit on and you put that movie on and you're not really taking it seriously it's just something that's playing but yet it's entertaining and doesn't really have to ask too much of the viewer It's a good midnight movie. I love me some midnight movies. It's very, very B-level, though. Very B-level. You know, my dad
0: and I used to go see one of those pretty much every week. Death Race, Gamer, Jet Li, and Jason Statham in War. I mean... Yes.
1: Yeah. It's definitely in that realm, I would say. I I went in thinking, oh, this could be like another sleeper hit like John Wick. And... I do think it does have that potential because to me, I know some people really, really dig this movie like a lot. So I definitely think it has that potential for me. It's like, it's okay. It's good. Um, I can't really get past some of the terrible dialogue and terrible acting in the movie, but I will admit that the concept is cool. It is entertaining. The camera work during the fight scenes is unique, and I think it does leave a lot of room for improvement if they are to do a sequel for it.
0: Uh, it's not performing too well. It made a whopping $4 million this weekend, coming in at number six in the box office, so... Well, they don't have to make that
1: much money in order to recoup their budget. Yeah, but it's not looking like it's gonna be a John Wick-style hit, we'll say that. Well, maybe if they actually do cast Tom Hardy in the sequel, maybe then they can open up to a bigger movie.
0: <laughs> no, it's gonna—it's—it's it's all leading up to a Venom crossover.
1: <laughs> oh my god! And that is—and that is how I felt when I walked out of the film. I felt like I had seen Venom already, and I, there's no need for me to actually go see Venom now <laughs> when it releases in theaters. It's unbelievable how much Logan Marshall Green looks like Tom Hardy. It's uncanny, and I know that people have brought up those comparisons before. This movie, though, like. It blew my mind. I-, I could not believe how much he looked like him during this.
0: You know, you you really want to mess with people. Why don't you throw in? Is it uh, who
1: was in Suicide Squad? Um, who was? I know who you're talking about. I don't care. Uh, but yes, him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you have all three of them in a movie together,
0: and then it's just, oh my god. Yeah, it's Jai Courtney. Uh, yeah, we'll call the movie Triplets,
1: and it, it'll be a three-way action film.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's a sequel to the Schwarzenegger and Danny Vita one. So you have uh, Logan Marshall Green, Jai Courtney, and Tom Hardy all in a movie together. Yes. It's, you know, honestly, you didn't even need to use CGI in that movie that Tom or Tom Hardy played twin gangsters. I mean, honestly... You could have had both of these guys side by side. Hi, everyone. This is Tim Costa. I'm Hermano da Silva. And this is Walter Vinci. And together, we are the First Time Watchers Podcast. Each week, we choose a movie to review that none of us has seen. Watch it together. And then discuss. These movies could be new. Or old. Or on our list of shame. You can find us on iTunes by searching for the First Time Watchers Podcast. As well as on Stitcher. And we love interacting with our listeners. So if you have any suggestions, send us a tweet. An email. Or post to our Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you. That's right. I mean, it's all about interaction. And talk about what we love. Movies. And you don't have to worry about us going on and on about this and that and the other. And oh, no, no, look, no, no, let's no. Stop, talk stop, about stop, this minutiae Shut, new up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut and up, up. And I wonder who the gaffer... God watch. damn it, shut I up! I think that's enough. Oh my I'm God,
1: So let's talk a little bit about some uh, Oscar potential from some of the movies that are uh, currently playing in theaters right now. Um, I had a thought the other day, Will, and I want to run it by you, and I just want to get your uh, thoughts on this. First Reformed, I am starting to believe that that is the kind of movie that gets a sole Oscar nomination in original screenplay, and it's their way for finally acknowledging Paul Schrader.
0: Oh, I think it could totally happen. I mean, it is going to suffer from having been released relatively early in the year and it's not going to be a very high-profile film. That being said, Schrader undoubtedly has a narrative for the uneducated, and hopefully you're not uneducated if you're listening to our podcast, but this is the man who wrote things like Taxi Driver and Raging Bull. He directed Affliction, which got James Coburn his Oscar. Paul Schrader, I, w- I went to a trivia night in Los Angeles for film trivia that had an entire 20-minute round of just questions about Paul Schrader movies. I mean, this is someone who is an undeniably talented filmmaker and who has never received an Oscar nomination. And first performed, I haven't seen it yet, but is supposedly fantastic and has an all-time great Ethan Hawke performance. So... If The Lobster could pull it off, getting released in May, kind of being forgotten about, and then resurfacing, I think this film could do it, too. And it's got A24 behind it, just like The Lobster did. They're proving adept at a campaign. I wouldn't put money on it, but I think that, depending on how the original screenplay field turns out, that is a very real
1: possibility. I do want to also just throw out a couple of other uh, just quick ideas that I've had for potential Oscar uh, nominations, just to get some of your feedback on it as well. Some things that you and I have not talked about yet on the show. Um, Deadpool two best original song, Celine Dion for ashes. What do you think of that?
0: Oh, I definitely think that can happen. I mean, this isn't going to make as much money as the previous Deadpool did, but I think people love the idea of getting Celine Dion back on the Oscar stage. It is a film that will make, that is going to make a decent amount of money. It got solid reviews. Um, And I think, most importantly, Fox is going to put a ton of money behind campaigning. I mean, the the fact that they were willing to create such a song makes me think that they're going to throw a bunch behind a campaign. They campaigned hard in early 2017 to get Deadpool a Best Picture nomination after it performed well with the Guilds. I think they will now put all of that money behind just this category instead of even bothering with screenplay or picture. And I think that will absolutely pay off. It's Celine Dion, after all. Um, I also do think I hadn't considered this until I learned about a certain cameo that Deadpool 2 will try once again for a makeup nomination. And they, they couldn't get it the first time around when the only makeup on screen was really Deadpool's. But not only have they improved his makeup with a higher budget... There is also a very recognizable celebrity who's just slathered in makeup to play a obese, bearded redneck at one point in the film. There's also some makeup on Josh Brolin. It's augmented with CGI, but he's got all kinds of body scarring. So I think Deadpool could also at least make the makeup shortlist. And maybe this time around get the nomination. I mean, that happened with Hellboy, where the first film missed a makeup nomination and the second one got it. So, who knows?
1: Uh, Rachel McAdams, Best Supporting Actress, Disobedience.
0: I don't think that'll happen.
1: I think oh, that. Oh man! I
0: think she. You know, she she was acclaimed. For that, and she surprised us getting a supporting actress nomination a couple years ago for Spotlight. But I think that film, unfortunately, is going to end up having been released too early. And when it comes to the supporting categories, unless there is a crazy narrative behind an actor, usually they often fall back on what did we see this fall? Rachel McAdams, best actress, Golden Globe comedy musical, Game Night. (laughs) <laughs> I think a nomination could potentially happen. You know, Game Night, it's it's funny, Game Night, I don't know what happened this week. I, I guess I do know what happened. It came out on DVD. But I've seen a bunch of people tweeting about, wow, this is one of the best films of the year. It's better shot than it has any right to be. It's so funny. Yeah, I, I could see her absolutely showing up for a uh, a Golden Globe comedy nomination. Her, her line delivery of... Oh, no, he died is one of the funniest
1: things I've seen all year. <laughs> yeah, I think she's poised to have a good year. I mean, if Bleecker Street can give her a push for disobedience and supporting an actress, I really genuinely do think they have a shot. Um, it's one of those performances from the first half of the year that... Critics will have to really, really get behind. Same thing with people like Ethan Hawke and Joaquin Phoenix and You Were Never Really Here. Critics are really, really going to have to make us remember those performances to keep them within the conversation. But I do think her work in Disobedience could get there um, with time. Um, Annihilation getting anything. No, nope. Anything at all? Or nope? Just a no? Okay.
0: No, I think visual effects is going to be too competitive. year, and the rest of the stuff isn't even in question.
1: Well, speaking of visual effects, I am still on the belief that Avengers Infinity War is going to win visual effects.
0: No, I 100% disagree. I think ultimately if an Avengers film wins visual effects, it's going to be Infinity War 2 where... They truly have all of the characters interacting. This isn't there yet. Marvel... I mean, uh, look at Marvel's visual effects history. You know, more than half of the Marvel films haven't even been nominated for visual effects. They've never won anything and other thanos is a great cgi character but that wasn't enough for the planet of the apes movies and other than that there's nothing we haven't seen in other marvel films i mean they've put them all in a movie together but it's you know they haven't been able to win for any other times i don't think it's going to happen particularly when you have things like james gray's ad astra which has Some of the Avengers Infinity War visual effects supervisors also working on that, and apparently that is getting a December 2018 qualifying run. So you got that. Um, You have what I think is a very likely winner, First Man, if that is a big tech player overall. That film is shot in IMAX. It's, you know, grounded, realistic CGI with a space adventure. I mean, that that fits right in there with previous winners like Interstellar and Gravity. And it'll probably be a Best Picture
1: nominee, which always helps, except for 2015. So you, you think Avengers Infinity War can at least get a nomination? Yeah, I think I think it will get a visual effects nomination. Absolutely, because I had I had admittedly forgotten about First Man, and now that you just brought that up, it's like, duh, uh, okay.
0: And then also, <laughs> uh, let's let's not forget um, what's that Robert Rodriguez movie, the James uh, Cameron produced one, Attila, Battle Angel. Yeah, I mean this the mocap, in that looks off the chain, and that's coming going to be really fresh in voters' memories. So if they are going for a blockbuster, if that does well financially then why wouldn't it factor in
1: yeah that's a good point um we're heading up soon on the end of the first half of the year how are you feeling about black panther right now in terms of the oscar race
0: it's gonna need a big second half of the year oscar campaign and certainly disney has the money to do it um but i think it's gonna get some tech nominations but if they want to secure that best picture nomination i mean it's it's the film has still stayed in the conversation but i think it's still far from a sure thing i think costume design nomination maybe even win is a guaranteed it might snag a sound or something it might be in the race for cinematography but i don't think a win's going to happen or a nomination is going to happen but that picture nomination is possible but disney is gonna need to put all of their money behind it warner brothers couldn't pull it off with wonder woman last year and they campaigned it the hell out of that film so it's possible but it's
1: it's 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 gonna take some skilled maneuvering and my final one sight unseen just based on what you've heard so far tony collette in Hereditary, Best Actress.
0: Oh, hell yes. I think that, I mean, A24 is already, you know, putting out special trailers saying, 2018's first Oscar contender is here with Hereditary. They're clearly going for it. They know how acclaimed that performance is. I think, I don't think she's going to win. I don't think a horror performance is going to win with this Academy, but I think- Oh, a I, nomination... I disagree.
1: I, I actually think that this Academy might do it. You think she could win? I think that there has been an overwhelming, overwhelming, like, sense of Tony Collette is one of those actresses who's always been great, has never really, you know, phoned it in. And this is probably the best work of her career. And if Hereditary could land in other areas, possibly at the Oscars outside of Best Actress... Why not?
0: God, that would be so cool if we could get a film like that winning a major acting Oscar. I'm dying to see it. And I mean, I've heard it's just an earth shattering performance. So she's already got my support because I love genre films performing wealthy Oscars. But we shall see.
1: I cannot wait to talk to you about it next week. I am so, so, so excited. Let's head over to uh, one fan question that we received uh, for this particular episode. Uh, This one over here is coming from Casual Cinecast on Twitter. What's your favorite personal best picture winner of all time and why? This is a lazy
0: answer, but I think Casablanca. Oh, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, Casablanca is like the quintessential old school american studio film that works it still manages to be incredibly compelling it's so quotable the performances are very good michael curtis's direction is assured it's it's like the best of the best of classic old school hollywood filmmaking i mean you you can you can argue absolutely very fairly for something that's more daring like the godfather but most of my favorite films of all time did not win Best Picture Oscars. And Casablanca is one of the few that is an all-timer for me that did. So I've got to go with that.
1: I always think of Robert McKay in Adaptation when he says to him, Casablanca, best screenplay ever written. <laughs> you know, And he like walks away after talking to Nicolas Cage. <laughs> oh um, it's true. It is one of the greatest screenplays ever written. I mean, the performances in that by uh, Bogart and uh, Bergman are, inc- like, just impeccable. Um, that is a timeless film. I mean, ugh, the war- yeah, and, and you know what, too? It's actually up for a, a poll right now, which we're going to get into next on nextbestpicture.com. But for me, I mean, and I feel like I'm beating a dead horse at this point, uh, saying it over and over. Everyone knows Lord of the Rings is my favorite film of all time, so Return to King will probably forever be my personal favorite uh, Best Picture win, and for a number of different reasons, not only because it's my favorite movie of all time, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, but also because that was that Academy acknowledgement of genre back during a time where it even isn't as much of a conversation as it is today. Uh, This was back in 2003, (laughs) you know? So, seeing the Academy embrace the whole trilogy with that many Oscar wins and for all of them to be wholly deserved because that film was a technical masterpiece. And most of the awards that it did win were in the technical department. Sean Austin was robbed of a nomination. Sean Aston was greatly robbed of a nomination for Return of the King, as was Andy Serkis for The Two Towers. And quite frankly, they should have just given it to Ian McKellen to make up for Gods and Monsters in 2001. I love Jim Broadbent, but. Mm, You know, that's my own personal belief, and there is a bit of biasness there, but hey, it is what it is. Okay, so moving on now from that, let's head over to the polls. Let's talk about what's going on over there. Uh, Last week's poll, which was tied to Adrift, uh, which released this weekend, we asked everyone which was their favorite Dangers at Sea movie. So we had Abandoned Ship, All is Lost, Captain Phillips, *Castaway*, The Deep, In the Heart of the Sea, Jaws, Lifeboat, Life of Pi, Open Water, The Perfect Storm, The Poseidon Adventure, The Reef, The Shallows, Titanic, Unbroken, and we also had a write-in option for those that wanted to list something that was not there.
0: This was obviously Titanic, right?
1: Well, uh, let's take a look and let's see. The top two are Titanic and Jaws. Which one, Will? Well, the fact, that the fact that you're doing this
0: suggests you're setting me up for a surprise, but I think you're trying to play me. It's still Titanic.
1: 38 to 27 votes. The winner was Jaws. Uh, <laughs> Titanic landed in second place with 27 votes, and coming in a third place with 17 votes was Life of Pi. Mm. In fourth place, Castaway, and in fifth place... Another Tom Hanks film, Captain Phillips. Anything that surprised you by not placing in the top five? Um, I was very, very surprised. Um, at the, at the, I was actually more surprised with the write-ins that we received than anything. We actually had a write-in for Adrift. We had two write-ins for Das Boot. We had a write-in for Ghost Ship. No. Yep oh my god
0: I love to make I tweeted about this movie a couple weeks ago I just want our listeners to appreciate for those of you who haven't seen Ghost Ship the entire film the audience is trying to figure out who the ferryman is because there's a mythological ferryman whose job it is to ferry the living to the land of the dead and he wants to collect souls and they're trying to figure out which character it could be and you think back to the guy who introduced himself as Jack Ferryman at the beginning of the film. There is a character named Jack Ferryman in that movie. And yes, spoilers, he is the Ferryman. So, Ghost Ship,
1: oh my god, that film is... Woo. <laughs> uh, we had a write-in for Deep Blue Sea. It's a classic. We also had a write-in for... Get, get ready for this. We had a write-in for Finding Nemo. I, I guess it works. Yeah, that's what I said. I was like, okay. (laughs) Oh, man. This week's poll uh, is tied to Hereditary. And we are asking everyone, which is the scariest movie you've ever seen? Now, we know that everyone's preference for this is going to range. And I, I had to ask myself, do I put in disturbing movies like The Silence of the Lambs? that doesn't really have that many jump scares, but is like more of a psychological horror? Or do I just go with like horror movie classics? What do I do here? And I tried, I tried really hard to pick movies that for their time scared people. Um, and also too, I did pose the question on Twitter to try and get some responses from others um, to get an idea. So these were the films that ultimately uh, landed on the list here. Um, And it's a long one, so bear with me. We have Alien, Audition, The Babadook, The Blair Witch Project, Child's Play, The Conjuring, The Descent, The Exorcist, The Grudge, Halloween, Hereditary, Insidious, Jaws, The Omen, Poltergeist, R.E.C., The Ring rosemary's baby the shining sinister the texas chainsaw massacre the thing the witch and there is a ride in option that's a pretty solid list so will what movie for you is the scariest movie of all time
0: i haven't revisited this movie in years and it's probably not scary now but when i was in first grade my dad made me watch arachnophobia And I was left with a lifelong fear of spiders as a result. I wouldn't put my feet under the covers, eat a bowl of popcorn. I checked my shoes, my baseball helmet for months after seeing that film. So I would just for sheer psychological trauma probably have to make my vote arachnophobia.
1: So I have a kind of a similar answer. Um, my, My real answer is The Exorcist. No movie has ever scared me quite like The Exorcist did. Um, But before that, when I was a kid, Will, and I, too, was in the first grade, I happened to walk in one time when Pet Cemetery* was on TV. Oh, that's a creepy movie. My God, did that movie scar me. Absolutely scarred me from what i saw on screen I, I i still to this day don't feel like i have ever been the same since seeing that movie on the screen i tried rewatching it again a little bit later i think i tried rewatching it like when i was in the eighth or the ninth grade or something like that and i still had traumatic uh childhood memories and then i rewatched it years later um, when i was more of an adult and um i realize now that it's you know it's not that bad but yes it is genuinely a very very creepy movie for sure Aren't they remaking it? Didn't they just announce that? Oh, I didn't hear anything about that. Yeah, I think I heard that
0: they're... uh, I'm 99% sure they just announced a Pet Cemetery remake. If we're looking at modern scary ones... Oh, one question I want to ask our fans. Everybody loves The Shining because it's a really good movie. Does anyone actually think The Shining is scary? Because I've never met anyone who's actually scared by The Shining. Do The Shining scare you, Matt?
1: (sighs) Hmm. No, no, but I think that's one of those movies that maybe for its time, like I was saying before, if you saw that in the theater when it came out, maybe I can understand where you would be coming from if you said that movie actually scared you.
0: Okay, so Jason Clark is going to be in the new Pet Cemetery. Nice.
1: Hey everyone, I'm Aaron. And I'm Patrick. And together we host the Feelin' Film Podcast, a show that focuses more on the emotional takeaway from a movie experience rather than its technical merit. Yes, sir. Talking about what we love about film and focusing less on the critical side of things makes for a very entertaining and enjoyable discussion. New episodes drop every Monday morning, and you can catch them on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and many other podcasting networks. You can also find out more about the show at feelingfilm.com. In the meantime, as we say on the show, stay positive and keep feeling film. We have two more uh, polls that are happening right now on NextBestPicture.com at the moment. Um, one of them is for our next throwback review for July. Uh, so we're asking everyone what, which our next uh, throwback review, review should be influenced by. And the options that we have for the new releases coming out in July are Ant-Man and the Wasp, The Equalizer 2, Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again, Mission Impossible Fallout, and Skyscraper. So we will be announcing that, actually, I believe on the next episode of the podcast, where we will have a fresh new poll Hopefully available for everyone to choose then uh, a list of movies pertaining to the winner of this one. So we'll see how that one shakes up. Pick Mission Impossible. Uh, we'll see, you know, how it all goes. And then, of course, last best picture. So we're, we we recently re- released our recording of One Flew Over to Cuckoo's Nest for our Patreon listeners and that was a lot of fun. I, I had a blast reviewing and revisiting that movie. So I'm really, I'm very much enjoying this right now. Um, we have Lawrence of Arabia to look forward to sometime in the month of June. I hope I can find time to watch that. <laughs> it's a, definitely a long one for sure, but a great one. So that'll be coming this month. But for the month of July, we have a whole new poll that is up for everyone to choose. Uh, and the 10 movies that were randomly selected that are either Best Picture nominees or winners are Casablanca, Foreign Correspondent, In the Bedroom, The King's Speech, The Lost Weekend... I know you love that movie, Will. (laughs) Love Affair, Schindler's List, The Ten Commandments, Terms of Endearment, and War Horse. So, Will, obviously... Based on what you said earlier, Casablanca, right? Yeah, but I do want to argue about the Lost Weekend. So, your vote would go for the Lost Weekend? Yeah, because I want to argue about oh, it. Okay, well. Because you like it. Well, we'll, 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 <laughs> we'll have to see. <laughs> I mean, so that poll is live right now, and I, have you already voted or not yet? No, I haven't. I'm going to kick my vote over after I get off the air. Okay. Alrighty, righty. So those are all the polls that are happening on nextbestpicture.com. Um, with that said, Will, we could pass it over to you for any news that happened this week. I know it's been a light week overall, but if you have anything for us, I would love to hear it.
0: Okay, so Brian De Palma has announced that he's going to be working on a Harvey Weinstein horror film.
1: Oh, I heard about this.
0: Already been met with some controversy because people are like, A, Brian De Palma doesn't have a great track record when it comes to women and, like, sexual violence. Um, Secondly, people pointed out that, you know, it doesn't really seem right if it's, like, uh, if it's an entirely male, written, directed, produced project about a story that disproportionately affected women. So I'll be interested
1: to see if that one actually ends up getting made. And it's not supposed to be actually about Harvey Weinstein. It's more of like it's going to be a character that's based on Harvey Weinstein as well. So it's not like we're going to get the Vincent D'Onofrio casting that everybody wants uh, right now. But I'm intrigued by it because it is Brian De Palma. And that's kind of where it ends for me. Um, I do agree, if you will, that this has all the makings to be a controversial movie that audiences may just come out in droves and say, we're not in the move for this. We don't want to see this. We don't know why you have to do this right now. And maybe he, you know, like you said, isn't the right filmmaker for it. But he gave his reasoning that he's very upset with what Hollywood has become and what the system has become since the days when he was making movies. And what I think is uh, the misguided um, viewpoint there is that it's not like things have changed in that regard since he started making movies. I, the abuse of power has always been there. And I think that is what people are kind of latching onto as does this guy really have the right frame of mind to be yeah, telling It was
0: probably even worse in the seventies, you know, it's
1: <laughs> so, yeah. So it's basically like he's admitting that he is ignorant to it essentially, but yet he wants to make a movie about it. I, it, it, mm. Yeah, I, I don't know, I don't know how I feel about this one.
0: Okay, uh, so we knew Timothy Chalamet was gonna be playing Henry V in a film called The King from David Mashad.
1: He's gotta grow out that facial hair.
0: <laughs> he gotta get that beard going, man. <laughs> oh my god. So, but listen to this cast now. It's Joel Edgerton, Robert Pattinson, Lily Rose Depp, Ben Mendelsohn, uh, Sean Harris. He's the villain from Mission Impossible Five, and. Now, Dean Charles Chapman from Game of Thrones, who was Tommen Baratheon. I mean, that cast is just stacked in this Henry the Fourth and Henry the
1: Fifth movie. So, as long as Ben Mendelsohn is not playing another villain, um, I'll be happy because I'm getting tired of seeing him as the villain and everything. Well, maybe maybe he's going to be playing a villain who's a little bit more complex. <laughs> at least, I, I I I I am very intrigued by this cast. I'm also very, very happy um that Timothy Chalamet and Robert Pattinson are going to be in a movie together because Lord knows what that's going to do for people's Twitter timelines. Um Jesus Christ. Being be yeah, being totally serious though, um yeah, this is this is exciting. I, I don't think Timothy Chalamet is still the right person for a role such as this. Mm-hmm. We will see because it is being directed by uh Dave Mccod, right?
0: Yes. Okay. And one thing uh, Nicole Ackman, who will be on our Incredibles review later this week, also pointed out is that um, the film is based on both Shakespeare's Henry the Fourth and Henry the Fifth, and in Henry the Fourth. The character who goes on to be Henry V. The reason I had an issue with Timothy Chalamet playing Henry V. is because Henry V. who goes to Agincourt is like this big, strapping guy in his thirties who's a badass and rallies the troops and is bearded. And, you know, it's it's not what you associate with Timothy Chalamet. In Henry IV, that character is a whiny brat who has to learn to be king so that does if it's incorporating that that does kind of
1: work more i feel so much better all of a sudden
0: yeah like i i am more willing to embrace that i had heard it was just henry v and so that that works you know so we'll see i won't buy him if it continues into his time at Agincourt still unless he can really bulk up but it you know that 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 sounds more interesting so i'm very intrigued by the project uh, obviously, David McCod's Mashad, however you pronounce it, his last project wasn't great. But uh, some of his earlier stuff like Animal Kingdom and the rover were excellent. So
1: I'm intrigued. Thank you, by the way, for acknowledging that the rover is awesome. I do think more people oh, I love to The to check rover. that one out.
0: Yeah, it actually makes a great one-two punch with John Wick, I think. If you've seen the film, you understand oh. why. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 actually a good way of putting it. Um, okay, so here's an interesting one. Uh, I think I mentioned this on the show back in April, uh, how I wished someone would make a movie about Oliver Sippel, who was a man who saved President Gerald Ford from a assassination attempt and became a national hero for about three days and then a newspaper outlet discovered that he was a closeted gay man this is in the 70s and said hey we think that gay america needs a hero like this we can say look at this it's someone who does something stereotypically masculine and stops an assassin's bullet can we publish that and he's like no i haven't told anyone in my life uh i would prefer you keep that side of me private and they decided that the societal value of revealing that outweighed his wishes that was revealed. He was then disinvited from coming to the white house to visit the president disowned by his family shunned and ultimately became an alcoholic and died really tragic story. And I was like, honestly, like there's, there's a lot of modern relevance. And lo and behold, two months later they announced that Warner brothers has acquired writes to that story and is going to be developing a film based on the tragic life of Oliver Sippel. So that's an interesting little-known moment in history that's going to get a f- very timely film treatment. Uh, it raises a lot of interesting questions about privacy in relation to the press, etc., etc. So um, I'm intrigued by that. There's another interesting historical uh film called the big blow coming out which is basically there's a in like 1900s rural texas there's a black boxer who has to fight against a racist society and also a racist boxer or white boxer who was paid by locals to try and actually kill him so that the title of reigning champion could be returned to a white man. This is someone who in incredible like 1900s Texas, like incredibly racist environment and who defied expectations and who ultimately was imprisoned because he was dating a white woman. Um, Ridley Scott is producing one of those projects. Meanwhile, Interestingly enough, um Stallone is producing a separate project based on the same guy. They're both happening at the same time because I hadn't heard about this. Stallone apparently had viewed this man's life as a passion project and campaigned to get him pardoned, you know, posthumously by Trump. And apparently Trump just pardoned this guy years later and I guess it's symbolic value. So that's why uh, Stallone was at the White House. I hadn't even heard all the details in that. So Stallone is producing one project and Ridley Scott is producing the other. So we're getting two dueling stories about that guy. So we have a Mobley Jungle Book scenario happening right now. Yes. Um, Let's see. Then we also have... There's a book called Space Opera that I've had sitting in my Kindle shelf for about three weeks. Uh, It's a sci-fi book that's essentially a feature film Version of the Rick and Morty episode where they have to decide the fate of humanity by going in like a singing competition. Did you see that the Show Me What You Got episode? No, but if you can sing for the rest of the episode, that would be quite entertaining. <laughs> Actually, I still, I still want us to do something on the show where if we get a certain number of retweets, you and I agree that we will have an entire episode sung. I think that would be great.
1: I, I'm waiting for somebody to listen to this now and they'll just create the tweet for us. Maybe, maybe they'll just start a petition or something. I, I, I don't know if people actually want to hear that, but.
0: No, I, I think people do want to hear that. We'll bring everybody no. on board. Why, why would people want to listen to us sing an entire episode? I think it'd be incredible. I, you know, I used to, to write comedic songs back in high school. I did. Uh,
1: oh, pat yourself on the back. Why don't you?
0: No, it was great. It was 1985 turned into 1984. Uh, no free thinking or talking. The thought police are stalking you too, your job where you're rewriting history and your kids don't trust them. They tell everything that you do because life just couldn't suck more in 1919 19, 1984. Yeah, there's a lot of potential here. So... <laughs>
1: Maybe maybe for our next like you know film review of a musical maybe we could do something that would be uh, quite fun. But
0: fans start the petition. There's also an entire 1984 song waiting out there for some lucky listener. I wrote the whole thing. It's two and a half minutes long. So I don't know how lucky they would be. I'm just going to throw that out there. <laughs> it would be a treat. So anyway, oh, uh, Colin Trevorrow and Mark Platt have gotten the rights to that. Um, It's called Space Opera, and it's about an intergalactic music festival where Earth must go represent itself in order to not be destroyed. So that is... Colin Trevorrow hasn't had a stellar track record.
1: (coughs) Book of Henry. (coughs)
0: Uh, But who knows that there's some potential there for a fun time angelina jolie and david a are going to be in a live action fantasy film from brenda chapman who directed brave about basically where peter pan and alice in wonderland are brother and sister and are dealing with parents who struggle with trauma and they basically visit neverland and wonderland as their respective escapes from the horrors of the real world oh, that sounds that that sounds interesting yeah, I'm I'm am I'm a little intrigued, those are two and obviously a yellowo and uh Jolie will play the parents, so there's there's some potential there. Um, this is a fun one. James Ivory, you know, he used to work with Ruth Prater Jabala for years on all his Merchant Ivory films, and she won a couple Oscars alongside him. But he is adapting a story of hers that was about a Indian judge who knew he was about to die, and it's about the back and forth between him and his wife also ensuring that his wife takes care of his mistress. And there's a lot of domestic drama there. James Ivory, who just won an Oscar, obviously, for Call Me By Your Name, uh, is writing it. Again, he will not be directing it. He is instead letting Alexander Payne direct the film. So... I'm intrigued by that. You know, Alexander Payne has done plenty of domestic dramas, and taking it to India is going to be very interesting for him. But I think there's definitely some possibilities there that this could get him yet another Best Director nomination. The Academy obviously loves him. I love Nebraska, but I have no idea why he was nominated for Best Director for that. <laughs> No, I mean, I, I really like that film, but that's not what I would call a directing showcase. Would you agree?
1: Yeah, uh, I, I would agree with you on that. I think, I think that they just love him, and they see black and white, and they go, ooh. All right, so Jamie Foxx is playing
0: Spawn for Blumhouse. Blumhouse is obviously not content with Glass as its, first, as its superhero film. It's now adding in Spawn. And we all know Spawn was rather unsuccessfully turned into a film back in the '90s as like a R-rated superhero film. We're gonna get a new take on this. This is, uh, I think, a Marine who is betrayed by his peers and sent to hell, ha- and killed, and sent to hell, where he basically becomes a Avenger on behalf of Hell, going back and collecting other demons. I think I've never seen the original, but Jamie Fox. I mean, he's when he's on, he's very on. And I think he could. Definitely be a comple- compelling anti-hero. I'm sorry,
1: I'm sorry. Help me out here. When was the last time that Jamie Foxx was on? Horrible Bosses. <sighs> Motherfucking Jones. <laughs> you know what? Fine. All right, all right, all right. You win that argument.
0: <laughs> all right, so I, I, I'm intrigued, though. I, You know, like, he does He does have charisma. He, just, he doesn't often choose good projects, but when he does, he's very compelling.
1: I, I agree. It's just very few far in between
0: now also Todd McFarlane is not only writing but also directing he's a comic book artist he's never directed a film and the last time we saw that happen was Frank Miller with The Spirit and that was um,
1: oh Jesus Christ
0: yeah (laughs) so we'll see um finally speaking of comic book people, Zack Snyder is going in a very different direction from his mini superhero films and comic book films and he is instead doing an adaptation of Anne Rand's The Fountainhead. This is his next project. Uh Anne Rand of course is the uh, very, you know, the patron saint of libertarians ever everywhere she's the writer of atlas shrugged this is another book which is about being an architect and not conforming to society so um i'm not particularly interested in this but i'm sure there's an audience for it although the previous atlas shrugged adaptation had to crowdfund its third installment because it did so poorly at the box office so there is that
1: and that's about it for news this week Well, that was a pretty good roundup of things that are going on this week overall. Um, I'm very much looking forward to the crop of releases that we are going to be getting over the next couple of weeks. And I'm also very excited too, Will, as we get closer to our 100th episode, we get closer to... um, the. First half of the year being over by the end of this month, we can start talking about uh, what has made our top fives or top tens. Um, if we have seen enough at that point, some of us I know, you know, struggle a little in that department. But overall, um, I think things are moving around uh, pretty, pretty swimmingly so far. So, thank you so much, man, for uh, being on with uh, this episode with me. Uh, we have a lot of really, really cool things that we're working on right now in the pipeline for everyone, and some surprises in store as well. So I want to just give a quick shout out to everyone that has thrown us a review on iTunes, supported us on Patreon, retweeted, liked, shared, comment, everything that it is that you guys are doing to help support Will and I's passion project here known as Next Best Picture is very, very greatly appreciated. Uh, Will, where can they find you on the internet?
0: You can find me on Twitter at Mavericks Movies. And again, whoever's listening to this episode... Oh, God. I believe in a musical Next Best Picture episode, and you should too. So get the movement started on Twitter. Matt's going to kill me, but I hope he doesn't delete this segment. Because I believe in this, and uh, I think it's going to be something really special. We could get Michael Schwartz back on here with his infamous singing voice, my infamous singing voice. I've never heard Matt sing, but I'm sure it's memorable, to say the least. Um, our very uh, Nicole Ackman, who writes for Broadway World, could be on here. Her review was featured recently on the poster for a major Broadway production, so there, there there's excitement to be had with that
1: prospect. Um, moving on from that, you can find <laughs> me on Twitter at nextbestpicture. Picture. Thank you so much once again for listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Player, FM, and also on Castbox. Review on iTunes, Patreon support. You guys know the drill. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we will see you all next time.